Well, again, it is good to see all of you out this morning, and we're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for this morning concludes our series on the story of Jesus. Today's lesson is going to be entitled, Tell of the Cross. We've been following along with the song, Tell Me the Story of Jesus. And we uh, started with His birth. We also looked at His temptations. We've looked at His life. And we're going to conclude with His death, burial, and resurrection. Now it has been suggested, and Brother Joe is a good sport, so I can say this, I, I believe. But it's been suggested that this would be a great lesson for Christmas or Easter. And I don't disagree with that. Uh, whenever we look at the holidays, we certainly understand that those are the two that are well recognized by a lot of people. And we certainly see that there are many people, there are many hearts that are turned to Jesus, uh, at least in the moment, than they would be otherwise. And so I don't disagree with that. And whenever we have the holidays come up, I, I consider, am I going to do a lesson on, on that theme, the, the story of Jesus, or am I going to do something different? The last couple of times I've been in the middle of a series, and so I've, I've continued that series. But as I was thinking of the story of Jesus, and as I was planning it for this month, I, I did so with a purpose in mind. I hope that, that you understand that because it's something that you need to know. The story of Jesus, it's great for times when the world recognizes it, such as Christmas or Easter. But it's also a great story all year round. And so my purpose in preaching this series this month, and not saving it for Christmas or Easter or something like that, was to, to kind of help us understand that this is an important story to us. Not just to be recognized a couple of times a year, but it's to be recognized by Christians every day of our lives. And so it's been a great study so far, and I think that, that this lesson will, will, will round that out very well. Tell of the cross where they nailed him, writhing in anguish and pain. Tell of the grave where they laid him. Tell how he liveth again. Love in that story so tender, clearer than ever I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper. Love paid the ransom for me. As we continue looking at the story of Jesus, it, it continues until his death and beyond. He was willing to give himself as a sacrifice for the sins of mankind. Unlike any other story that we might read, the death of the hero was not the end of this story. And we find that he was raised from the grave in victory over Satan, sin, death, evil. If not for the sacrifice of the Son of God, the punishment that he experienced, we would be worthy of. That punishment would be ours. He suffered the great, greatest consequences of our actions so that we wouldn't have to. 
Our actions, our, our sinful behavior would lead us ultimately to a punishment of death. No matter how good we've tried to be, it doesn't matter because we would still fall short of God's glory if it wasn't for Jesus. And we do fall short on occasion, but we can be cleansed by His blood. You see, the end of the story, so to speak, is really the beginning of our story, isn't it? Because of His death, we are offered life. Because of His resurrection, we too can be raised to walk the newness of life. So now, I present to you the end of the beginning. Let's begin with the cross. His story is very simple. And we're just going to basically follow the events of what led to Jesus' death and, and what happened afterwards. Uh, these are found in Scripture, and I would encourage you to follow along. We're going to begin in Mark chapter 14. One of the first things that we see in, in the story of the cross, we see the arrest and the unlawful trial of Jesus. Just to give us a little bit of a review up to this point, uh, we understand that Jesus had encouraged Judas to do what he has to do. And he predicted Peter's denial. He had been praying in the garden that this cup might be taken from him, if possible. And so we pick up in Mark 14 and verse 43. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, with a great multitude, with swords and clubs, came from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now his betrayer had given them a signal, saying, Whomever I kiss, he is the one. Seize him and lead him away safely. As soon as he had come, immediately he went up to him and said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, and kissed him. Then they laid their hands on him and took him. And one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Now, from another account, we understand that uh, this one who drew his sword was Peter. And the servant of the high priest's name was Malchus. And Peter, uh, thinking that, that it was his time to fight, Peter had already said, as we, we have been studying the life of Peter and concluding uh, that portion of his life over the last few weeks in our Wednesday night class. And, and we see that, that Peter was thinking uh, of, of something different than what Jesus was thinking when it came to to how Jesus was going to die. Peter had said, I'll die with you. Even if the others don't, I will. I will fight for you. And he thought it was that time to fight. He drew his sword. He cut off the ear of the, the servant of the high priest. In verse 48, Then Jesus answered and said to them, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I, I was daily with you in the temple, teaching and you did not seize me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. 
And verse 50 is something that, that I think is very important. It's a very short verse, but it's one of significance. They all, Jesus' disciples, His apostles, they all <coughs> forsook Him and fled. Now we often, we recognize Judas. We understand that he betrayed Jesus. We recognize Peter even who, had, who denied Jesus as we see later on in this story. But not a one of the, the apostles stood with Jesus. And, and I believe that was because they, they recognized for the first time the significance of what Jesus was going to do. He had told them that he needed to die and I think they were just realizing that this is a very serious thing. And so they all forsook him and fled. Now one of the things that we have to remember about this story is that Jesus had done nothing wrong to deserve the treatment that he received. The multitude of men was not necessary as he had not threatened anyone and had committed no violent acts against anyone. And yet they come with the multitude to take him away and, and what's Jesus going to do? He, had, he even mentions that he had been with them on a daily basis and up to now they had not tried to take him. That they had not tried to put him on trial. They had not tried to, to seize him and to, to throw him into prison or anything. And yet they came to him with this multitude of men to take Jesus. And in verse 53 it says that they led Jesus away to the high priest. And with them were assembled all the chief priests, the elders, and the scribes. But Peter followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. It was cold enough here for a fire. Um, that, that helps us to understand a little bit about the, the time of the year. But he warmed himself at the fire. Verse 55, now the chief priests and all the council sought testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but found none. Remember, Jesus was innocent. He had done nothing wrong, and so they're having trouble, believe it or not, they're having trouble finding testimony against Jesus. And it says in verse, four, or verse 56, For many bore false witness against him, but their testimonies did not agree. Then some rose up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple made with hands, and within three days I will build another made without hands. But not even then did their testimony agree. Now this was something that Jesus actually said. They didn't understand the meaning of it, but he actually did say those words. But even then their testimonies didn't agree. Verse 60, And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, saying, do you answer nothing? What is it these men testify against you? But he kept silent and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him saying, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? Jesus said, 
I am. And you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of the power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his clothes and said, What further need do we have of witnesses? You have heard the blasphemy. What do you think? And they all condemned him to be deserving of death. And some began to spit on him and to blindfold him and to beat him and to say to him, Prophesy! And they, the officers struck him with the palms of their hands. The, the trial alone was unlawful as all these things occurred overnight. A Jewish tradition and law required a matter of weeks and months of process just just similar to the way that we have our court system, it takes a long time to convict someone of a crime. But they did all of this in a, in a night. Jesus was not afforded the, the due process and was convicted and sentenced almost on the spot. When seeking witness against Jesus in this trial, even the witnesses present could not present testimony that agreed, and yet he was convicted of crimes that he did not commit. It kind of reminds me of a story I read a long time ago uh, for school, To Kill a Mockingbird. And if you'll remember in that story, there, there's a trial that takes place, and it's an unfair trial. It's against someone who is a black skin. And, and that was a big thing that day and time. And even though uh, Atticus Finch is able to present all kinds of, of defense for this man, he's not able to win this trial. And he knows it from the very beginning. Uh, similar to the way that it is with Jesus. There's no way that he's going to win this trial no matter uh, the fact that he has done nothing wrong. He cannot win. They are determined to convict him despite the fact that this testimony didn't agree. And so we come to the point of his punishment on the cross. Mark 15 verses 16 through 32. Then the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium. They called together the whole garrison... And they clothed him with purple, and they twisted a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and began to salute him. Hail, King of the Jews! And they struck him on the head with a reed, and spat on him, and bowing the knee, they worshipped him, although not in sincerity. And when they had mocked him, they took the purple off him, put his own clothes on him, and led him out to crucify him. Then they compelled a certain man, Simon a Cyrenian, the father of Alexander and Rufus, as he was coming out of the country and passing by, to bear his cross. And they brought him to the place, Golgotha, which is translated place of a skull. Then they gave him wine mingled with myrrh to drink, but he did not take it. And when they crucified him, they divided his garments, casting lots for them to determine what every man should take. 
Now it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And the inscription of his accusation was written above the king of the Jews. With him they also crucified two robbers, one on his right and the other on his left. So the scripture was fulfilled which says, And he was numbered with the transgressors. Verse 29, And those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads and saying, Aha! You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself, come down from the cross. Likewise, the chief priests also, mocking among themselves with the scribes, said, He saved others himself. He cannot save. Let the Christ, the King of Israel, descend now from the cross that we may see and believe. And even those who were crucified with him reviled him. Now one of them turns around. One of them realizes it's wrong, but both of them, it says here, Reviled him. In verse 33, we read of his death. Now, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, saying, Lama Sabatana, which is translated, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Some of those who stood by, when they heard that, said, Look, he's calling for Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed, and offered it to him to drink, saying, Let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come and take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. Verse 38, Then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. There were also women looking on from afar, among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the less, and of Joseph, and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. In John's account we read of the presence of another, John 19 verses 25 through 27. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom Jesus loved standing by, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. We believe this disciple to be John himself. And from that hour, that disciple took her to his own house.
or zone on. The words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me, are quoted from Psalm 22. I want to share with you a few of the verses from that psalm. This is a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear. And in the night season, I am not silent, but you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Verse 7, All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip, they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let Him rescue Him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Verse 11. Be not far from me. For trouble is near. For there is none to help. But you, O Lord, verse 19. Do not be far from me, O my strength. Hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. My precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth. And from the horns of the wild oxen. You have answered me. It has been suggested that, that it's possible that, that maybe God didn't completely forsake him. And maybe this was simply a, a reminder of the, the psalm. Uh, whether or not God had actually and literally forsaken his son in the moment of his death he, he did not forsake him in purpose. And he was faithful to answer the prayers of Jesus. As we read in verse 21 of Psalm 22. And Jesus entered into paradise, not the place of torment. And as he entered into paradise, we understand that he was reunited with the presence of God. As no longer bore the sins of the world. <coughs> Going back to Mark 15, we also read of the grave. The tomb that contained Jesus' body was not his own tomb. Mark 15, verse 42. Now when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate marveled that he was already dead, and summoning the centurion, he asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body, of, the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen, took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb, which had been hewn out of the rock. And rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he was laid. The tomb that Jesus was buried in belonged to one Joseph of Arimathea. 
We don't know a lot about Joseph, but there are some things that we read about him. We understand that he was a wealthy man. And we also understand that he was a disciple of Christ. Although he kind of stood in the background, and, and as we read, as we come to Mark 15, it says that, that coming and taking courage, he went to Pilate. He built up the courage to ask him for the body of Jesus. Though a member of the council, Joseph had not agreed to the Jews' plan to crucify the Christ. Uh, verse 43 tells us that, that he had to build up that courage to ask for his body. And Pilate, learning that he was already dead, granted Jesus, or at least the body of Jesus, to Joseph's keeping. Jesus' burial in a borrowed tomb had been foretold in prophecy. As we look at the Old Testament briefly in Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 9, it says, And they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Again, Jesus didn't deserve the treatment and the punishment that he received. But all of this, all of this that happened to Jesus happened in accordance with prophecy just as it had been given many, many, many years before. If this was the end of the story, it would be a, a very dramatic, it would be a very sad story indeed. But the good news for, for us as Christians is that it's not the end. Because we also read of the resurrection. Mark 16, picking up with verse 1. Now when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene married the mother of James, and Salome bought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning on the first day of the week they came to the tomb when the sun had risen and they said among themselves who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? It was too heavy for them to move themselves and so even as they're, they're entering this tomb, as they're going to the tomb they're wondering who's going to roll away the stone? But when they looked up they saw that the stone had been rolled away for it was very large. It was something easy to spot. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them in verse 6, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But, but go tell his disciples... And Peter. That he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. As he said to you. So they went out quickly and fled from the tomb. For they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone. They were afraid. 
questioning who would roll away the stone for them, they came and found it. It had already been taken care of. The stone had already been removed. They also found that Jesus wasn't there. That they were told particularly to tell Peter that Jesus was risen. Notice that Peter is still of importance to Jesus, even though he had denied him three times. It's important that Peter know that Jesus is risen. We can imagine the discouragement that he's feeling within himself because he has betrayed Jesus in his denial. But he needs to know as well as all the others that Jesus is risen. Jesus made several appearances following his resurrection during a 40-day period before his ascension. In Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, Luke begins this account. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Until the day in which he was taken up, after he, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom he had chosen, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many infallible proofs, being seen by them during forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. John mentions three appearances, among others, to a collected group of apostles. Immediately following his resurrection and after he had appeared to Mary Magdalene in John chapter 20, verses 19 and 20. It says, Then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Eight, day, eight days later in John 20 verses 26 through 28. After eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Thomas was not there before. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, Peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach your finger here. And look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believe. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord, my God. You know, we don't read that Thomas actually did those things. Jesus invited him to, to touch the, the nail prints and, and the place in his thigh where the, pier, the spirit pierced him. But we don't read that Thomas actually had to follow through. And, and, and I wonder if he didn't realize after Jesus said these things that he was really there. That he was really resurrected. And again we read that Jesus appeared to them at the Sea of Tiberias in John 21 verses 1 through 7. After these things Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, 
Nathanael of Cana in Galilee. The sons of Zebedee and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat. And that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? And they answered him, No! And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and, and you will find some. So they cast, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved, John, said to Peter, Is the Lord. Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and plunged into the sea. He was ready to see Jesus. Not to mention that he left all the other disciples to take care of the rest of the fish. And he was excited to see Jesus. There are some other appearances of note. Jesus also appeared to two men on the road to Emmaus in Luke 24. He also appeared to his own half-brother James before appearing once again to his disciples as we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. And there were others, other appearances that he made within that 40-day period. But the moral of the story is that, that Jesus didn't remain in the grave, did he? He died, and he was dead. There was no life left within his body. They made sure of it by, by, by piercing his side and, and seeing what came out. But Jesus died. He, he died quickly in comparison to others who had been crucified. And, and Pilate was surprised by that. As we read earlier when Joseph asked for Jesus' body. But he died. There's no doubt that, that Jesus died on that cross. He, he was so dead, in fact, that they buried him in a grave. But three days later, three days later, that grave could conceal him no longer. Before leaving them for the final time, Jesus gave his final commission, his final instructions to the apostles as well as a final promise. We read in Matthew 28 the, the more detailed of the accounts. Beginning with verse 16. Matthew 28 and verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son 
and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age, or to the end of the world. Amen. That final commission that was given to the apostles is the commission that we carry out today. The same thing that they began when Jesus was resurrected. And after He had ascended to be with His Father once again, uh, the same commission that he, He left with them, we carry on that same commission today. It's up to us to go into the world and preach the gospel to every creature. To, to tell them what they need to do to be saved, to baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. It's up to us to carry out that mission. Love, and that story is so tender. Clearer than ever, I see. Stay, let me weep while you whisper. Love. Paid the ransom for me. Why was Jesus willing to offer his life as he did? We read of the events of the cross and, and of the grave and the resurrection. But, but what does it all mean? What was the reason behind it? What made Jesus go through all that pain and all the, the punishment that belonged to us? What made Jesus stay on the cross? It said in one of the accounts that he could have called 12 legions of angels, a legion for each of the disciples, uh, the 12. But he didn't. He could have, but he didn't. You see, there's something that kept Jesus on the cross. John 15, I think, gives us a good answer to that question. Verses 13 through 16. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends for all things that I heard from my Father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain and whatever you ask the Father in my name, He may give you. Love is what kept Him on the cross. Truly, love did pay the ransom for our sins. Love led him to the cross, but the magnificence of the power of God raised him from the grave. There are many religions throughout the world. There are many people that serve those who have already gone, have already passed from this life. But we as Christians, we do not serve a dead king as man might do. Our Savior has risen and He lives today. Do you see 
the love that he had for mankind when he went to the cross. Something that I want you to realize is that Jesus didn't go to the cross just for the sins of the whole world. But I firmly believe that even if it was just me on this earth and I was in sin, that Jesus would have done the same for me. Just for me. Because He knows all of us just as God does. And He loves all of us and, and He would have died for you if you were in need of, of that sacrifice. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Little ones to him belong, they are weak, but he is strong. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Do you love Jesus? Are you a Christian? Do you need to obey the gospel? Do you need to come and repentance, confession of Christ, baptism for the remission of your sins? Why wait? If you need to obey the gospel, we give you that opportunity. If you need to come in repentance in rededicating your life to Him, asking for prayer, for forgiveness for something that you've done, if there's some way that we can help you, we want you to be a faithful child of God. We offer this invitation to you. Do you need to come? If so, please do. As we stand and sing.